0: Welcome, my name is Josh, in case we have not met before, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you can be in the room with us, and for those of you who are joining online as well, a big welcome to you as well. Thank you for joining us, and even though you're not here, you are here with us in our hearts and online, and we're able to chat with you and everything, so make sure, if you haven't already, say hello to the ladies uh, who are hosting this morning, that'd be great. So we're beginning a new series uh, that we're going to explore as we come up to Easter, and then at Easter we get to... Focusing on the cross and Jesus now, it's going to be a great time uh, together as a community to walk through uh, basically the reason our faith exists when it comes to Easter. People think the church exists because of the Bible or people think the church exists because Jesus, it actually exists because Jesus not only died but rose again. And because of that, the message spread like wildfire and we're here today because we believe that Jesus is not dead, that he's overcome death, and we have freedom because he holds the ultimate power and authority. So is going to be a great time to focus in on that. But before we get to focusing on that, I want to have a chat to everyone around group life, that life is better when we are connected. So over the next three weeks, um, we're going to be exploring three basic themes. We're going to be looking today at the fact that you and I are made for community Next week, we'll be looking at the idea that to grow spiritually, you need to be connected relationally. And then in the third week, we'll have a look at, that, at how we engage here is by being real, uh, showing up being real and joining in. My hope is that the big takeaway from our series together is that it just gets reinforced again and again that life is not meant to be traveled alone. The life we lead is not meant to be a solo expedition. It's meant to be something which we do with people that we love and that with people that love us as well. Let me pray and then we'll get into the message for this morning. Father God, thank you so much uh, for who you are. Thank you that you've designed us to be in community. Way back at the beginning, when you put this world together, however you did that, you put it together and you declared that we need to be in community with one another. We see it through the entire narrative of scripture and we experience it each and every day in our life that it is better when we're connected to you and to one another. So be with us this morning as we explore this idea and pray that we'll be able to take sorry, pray that we are to take something into our week. Amen. I updated I updated my watch and now it always logs in whereas it didn't used to, so Siri can stay there and hopefully hopefully be quiet. Loneliness. It's not fun to be lonely. I don't think anyone has ever woken up in the morning and said, thank God today I don't have to see anyone and I get to be completely by myself. I don't think loneliness is something which we look forward to. And when we find ourselves in situations where we are lonely, it can feel hard, sad, depressing. It feels isolating. Now, Loneliness I'm talking about here is not just that nice bit of time you get to have by yourself to decompress and become who you truly are meant to be. So introverts, for you guys, I understand. I get it. As an extrovert, I understand and I respect a bit of time by yourself is a good thing, right? Amen? It's a good thing. Loneliness and the feeling of not being connected, however, is really, really hard to live with. We've experienced over our time with COVID as people have had to isolate and people have had to quarantine. There's been moments in our lives where we've had to force ourselves into isolations where we say we do not want to be connected to our community because we want their health to be okay. But thank God we've had technology to be able to still stay in touch. We've been able to text to Zoom, to message, to phone call, to be able to update our lives in isolation or ISO as it is called online and everyone, whoever's been through ISO, there's almost like a camaraderie around it because I haven't had to isolate yet and when I talk to people who have and I've been in conversations where one of you two have isolated and there's a look in your eyes and you look at each other like we get it and you look at me and you're like you don't get it, I understand that. There's something around that space around disconnecting physically. Even though you can still connect online and through um, technology, there's still something about being disconnected physically. And what I've heard again and again from people who have had to isolate has been the beginning was great. They got to read a book they wanted to read. They got to clean something they haven't cleaned for a while. They got to, they got to do something they enjoyed. But as time went on, They realized, and one person said they'd never realized how much they missed physical interaction with other humans. How lonely it can be and how fun it was at first. But by day four, they said they just felt alone. They felt disconnected from people. So loneliness is not something which is good for us. And I would argue that some of my worst decisions that I personally have ever made come at a time have come at times in my life when I felt lonely, when I felt disconnected, when I felt isolated. And I don't know what it's like for you this morning. Maybe for you, when you have those times when community seems distant, maybe you've also made decisions which have not been for your health's best interest, your relationship's best interest, or in your best interest. But there's something about when we're surrounded by people. There's something about when we're surrounded by people who know us. And here's the key, that we get to know as well. There's something about being in community, to be known and to know other people, which is life-giving and freeing, compared to when we are isolated, when we can feel (sighs) alone. So we're going to have a look this morning. Um, I've got the uh, words up on the screen. We're going to have a look at the beginning back at Genesis chapter 2. And what I hope to draw out of our time at looking at this passage is just one simple truth. That God has created in us a human-shaped hole which He refuses to fill. That's all we're going to be looking at today. This idea that you and I need community, I believe, is because when God put us together, when He formed us in His image, He made us that we need people. We need community. We, we're not meant to be alone and isolated. So let's have a jump through Genesis chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, this will be very confusing because I've chopped out bits. But feel free to follow along if you want. Otherwise, it's up on the screen. So this is Genesis chapter 2. This is what it starts off with. It says, Heaven and earth were finished, down to the very last detail. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on that day He rested from His work all the creating work that God has done. So if you're unfamiliar or you haven't read the book of Genesis before, it is the first book in the um, Bible. And if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 1, it starts with the famous words, In the beginning. And then God creates, creates, creates. Then we come to Genesis chapter 2, and it says, Heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail, and it retells it in a slightly different format. Um, so the question, of, the thing I love about Genesis 1 and 2 is it reveals God's heart for humanity and His intent, His creational intent, but it doesn't give us the nuts and bolts of it all because it gives us two different accounts. So in this particular account, if we go to the next slide, it said, At the time, God made heaven and earth, and God formed man out of the dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. God has created a human being. He's breathed life into this human, a living soul a a created being, someone made in the image of God, but there's a little bit of a problem, God took the man and set him in the garden of work work, uh, the garden of Eden to work the ground and keep it in order so the first thing we see from Genesis chapter 2's perspective is that man's created and what's the first thing that this um, particular human has to do, he has to get to work from the moment we live to the moment we die, work never leaves us (laughs) And right here at the beginning, God creates, and the first thing he has for the person is a task. Isn't that good? Purpose. But God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, so I'll make him a helper and a companion. So God looks and puts the man to work, and he says, this is not good. This guy's alone. Maybe maybe God was looking at his work and said, it's okay. He needs a bit more motivation. I'm not sure as to why he felt he wasn't enough, but anyway... He said, now, now, when I read this um, recently, I'm like, yes, God made him a helper, a companion. So he made um, females, right? That's how we get in the story of Genesis. Was I shocked to reread this again? God's first thought in giving a companion was not to give another person. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and the birds of the air. For those of you who think that animals can fill that human-shaped hole in your life, that dog cannot... That pet budgie can't do it. The cat that you so lovingly adorn. It can't. It's not enough. So when I reread this, I was a little bit shocked. Yeah, God made a companion. So he made woman. No, first he gave him some animals to look after and said, oh, will this make this better? Um, But... The man went around, he named the cattle, named the birds, named the wild animals. Remember in the first account, it's created a bit different in this particular storytelling. The authors or the um, people who put it together decided that um, this is how they wanted to convey a particular point or a few ways of reading it anyway. But he didn't find a suitable companion. Because again, that dog, that cat, that budgie just cannot feel what a human is meant to. So God put the man into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of the ribs and replaced it with flesh. God used the rib that had taken from man, and he made woman and presented her to him. Therefore, a man leaves his mother, father and mother, and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. God creates a man, puts him to work in the garden, realizes this is not good that he is by himself, so he gives him some animals to look after. That doesn't quite work out either, and then he creates a woman. Here's the simple point that I want us to focus on today. There are so many things you can take out of the narrative. That's the reason, if you're unfamiliar um, with Christian tradition, the amount of commentaries and opinions we have on Genesis are too numerous to read in one lifetime. But the one thing that I want us to look at through the lens of community is simply this truth here. That there is a human-shaped hole in your life that God refuses to fill. So in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Now, remember, or if you're unfamiliar, Genesis chapter 3 is when sin enters the world in the narrative of, um, of Scripture. That's why that last verse, the two of them uh, were naked but felt no shame. Because they didn't have an understanding about that yet. They were just... Free and naked and try not to focus on that too much and when you read children's stories because I love Genesis they always are drawn I can see the artist in their mind trying to be like I want to represent them but modestly and it's very interesting with kids stories to see how some of them are very interesting interpretations anyway but before sin enters before there's anything to really not be good in the narrative of scripture God recognizes that something was not good that the man was alone that he didn't have another person to be with. There's a human-shaped hole in your life that God refuses to fill. It's not that he can't. God could have fixed this problem really easily by just allowing him to be enough. But there's a really unsettling truth here that God alone is not enough in our lives. We need people. If we fast forward to Jesus' teaching, when he goes, love God, love other peoples, um, you might be familiar with that teaching that Jesus has, one of the commentators that I really um, respect says, you cannot do one without the other. It's impossible to love God without loving people. And how can you possibly love people with their brokenness, their faults, their yuckiness, their uh, they're just people-ness without the love and freedom of God to love them? You need both of them to be working together. And here at the beginning, in the foundations of the Bible, we have humanity incomplete, before there was sin. And the thing it just reminds me again and again is that we are built for community from the beginning. We are meant to have it. Now, there are some benefits to being in community that hopefully you'll be able to nod your head along with. In the next slide there, it says there are a few things that, uh, just to highlight anyway, that when we are connected with other people, when we have the opportunity to know others and to be known by others, there's a few things that benefit in our lives, I believe. One of them is that we're challenged to grow. When we only see things through our lens, we become accustomed to how we see the world. Someone else comes along and suddenly they present an opposing view or a differing view or another interpretation about how you should see this particular topic or issue and you're forced to grow. You're either forced to re-look at your views and go a little bit deeper or maybe you're forced to take on another person's views and alter your worldview or alter your values or alter who you are to come to the new understanding that you have grown and learned through. So when we're together in community, we are challenged to grow. And when you are in a community where you only hear your own opinion coming back at you, you are in an echo chamber. One of the blessings of this little device here is that I can connect to anybody in the world. One of the curses to this little device here is that I can find a lot of other people who think the way I think. And if I only interact in those spaces, I'm just going to have my way of looking at life reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. And you know what? If you are right about life, that is great. But have you ever reflected back and gone, I got it 100% right? Nah. We grow, we learn, we change. When we're in community, we get challenged to grow. We get supported when we stumble. We have people around us who are able to see the good in us and call it out of us. We have people who are able to be present with us when we need people to be present with us. When we're in community and we stumble, we have someone to share our burdens with, someone to love us and to love them as well. When we go through loss, there's comfort. When we go through grief, there is another person to look eye to eye with and go, I'm with you and you're with me. And this is just something which gets shown in studies every now and then. Uh, when people are in community, we're generally happier. We're just generally happier people. Uh, because there's something about our mental health, uh, just the health of who we are as people that, that enlarges as we stay in community surrounded by people. Now, when we are not in community... There are some downsides that happen and we call it isolation. When we're not in community, we are isolated. Here's a few things that can happen to us when we do not have community around us. We can lose perspective. This one's a big one for me because the way I connect to God is, uh, one of the ways I connect with him is, is intellectually. And when you lose perspective on things, it can be incredibly disorientating when you come to something which opposes how you see the world or you have to learn something new. So we can lose perspective and think that how we value things is how everybody values things. How we want the world to be, we think, oh, everyone wants it to be that way. And then you rock up on election day and go, oh, other people have other opinions about how we should do things as well. We lose perspective on the world when we are isolated and we start to think that everyone sees it the way that we do. It's just not a healthy place to be. There is spiritual vulnerability When we are by ourselves, and I'm just going to take this as a fact, you don't have to raise your hand. When we are by ourselves and isolated, we are vulnerable and we make decisions that are not always good for us. We lose sight of things in our life that we should be focusing on. Our prayer life, our time with God, how we engage with the Bible, how we engage with other Christians, how we engage with connecting to God in our lives. Those sort of things can start to slip and we become spiritually vulnerable when we don't have people around us to help inspire us and to help call us to account. And this is a big one, number three there. When we're isolated, there is a fear of intimacy that can grow. Uh, The book that we're pulling some of this material from, one of the lines that says in there is that uh, before people get married they should go into a life group situation because when you're in a life group situation or when you're in marriage you have to be vulnerable and intimate with other people and that's not always easy to do especially if we've been hurt by other people and we've been hurt by those that say they love us so when we become isolated one of the dangers that can come up is that we can begin to fear being intimate with others because if we open up our lives and they don't respect that or they handle that wrong or it comes back and hurts us, that can weigh on our mind again and again and again. But if we keep staying in that isolated space, then that fear of intimacy can grow and grow and grow and grow. And one of the outcomes that I've witnessed and I've experienced in my own life is that then you re-engage with the community after a time of being isolated and you've almost got to like relearn how to be open to people. I don't mean friendly with people. I mean how to actually be open and vulnerable and honest with them. And it's difficult. Uh, danger of isolation number four there, greatest selfishness. When you are isolated and by yourself, how you spend your time, your money, your attention, your energy, me, 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 me. And then you go into community and suddenly other people have needs and you feel like I should probably help them as well. When we're isolated, it just becomes a me-fest I have control over my diary. I have control over my finances. I have control. And you just become more and more selfish. And you run into these adults every now and then uh, that you look at and you're like, you have no idea what it's like to have to share things. I I watch with my kids and I'm like, kids have a trouble sharing, obviously, because they're silly and still learning and growing and all that sort of stuff. And then for some people, I look at some adults and I'm like, man, you just don't know how to share. That's <laughs> just, I think isolation plays into that, that selfishness, that it is the way that I want it to be. And then when something happens, they almost get upset and angry and they're not able to compromise or see it from someone else's perspective or they have to try and change the other person's view rather than just being comfortable with there being discomfort in relationships because they've got a view of selfishness, me, 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 me. I'm unable to sit with someone of an opposing view and just be with them and love them and relate to them we get selfish. And poor health. When we're isolated, doesn't matter how good the food you eat is and how much you exercise, studies show again and again that when we are isolated, we do not live as long. We need to be in community. We need people around us. I just want to quickly share my experience of going through Community, and I want to say it from the perspective of life groups and uh, or small groups or cell groups or whatever it is that you, um, if you have church history behind you, your churches would have called uh, the groups that gather weekly or fortnightly together different names, but we call them life groups here. So my experience of life groups have been hugely influential in impacting my view of community and shaping how I relate to other people. So this is sort of the four phases that I've sort of been through. When it comes to life groups. So, when I was in year 11 and 12, I started attending life groups for the first time. We had a great youth ministry at the time, and our youth pastor said, Hey, let's get together, let's hang out, and let's meet up every week and chat about the Bible, faith, life, let's have fun. Let's just do a bunch of stuff. So in year 11 and 12, that's what we did. I have good fond memories of going to uh, play volleyball or umpire volleyball and then go and race off to life group because I really wanted to be there. And it was awesome. We'd watch DVDs. We'd read scripture. We would just chat. We'd have nights where we just prayed. Um, We had hangouts. We'd go and have uh, what we used to call late night steak nights, which is where at uh, 12 a.m. we'd get up and just chuck the barbecue on and just eat a bunch of steak. And then the next day just like roll on the floor like, what did we do? It was awesome. It was fun. It was community. And in, in attendance mode, when I was just attending, it was so good to finally get to just relate to other people and to see how they experience faith as well. Because up until that point, I'd sort of grown up as a Christian. I'd walked away for a little bit. Then I came back when I was 16 and a half. I decided Jesus was real. He revealed himself to me. And the life group was formational in helping me understand my faith. And a big way that it helped me understand my faith was by showing me that other people do faith differently. So that was my attending. Then, when I was in uh, year 13, or after I left school when I was 18, I did an internship at the church I attended, and I got to lead a group for the first time with my mate, and it was great, and we were not very good leaders. Um, our feedback session when we got together with the youth pastor, he, um, he sat us down and he said, um, Josh, Colin... The passion is there. The heart is there. You're just not very good. Lead. You're just not very good leaders. And we're like, oh, okay, um, thanks. But it was good. We needed to hear it because we just talked. We controlled the space. We tried to answer on their behalf, and we just didn't understand the gift of leading a group is to help other people unpack for themselves what the Holy Spirit is saying to them. We thought we had to teach them and show them, and demonstrate it. We didn't know that we had to facilitate and allow God to do that. We were trying to, we basically, Colin and I, we were, We heart was in the right place, but we were trying to do God's job for him. If we can convince them to see the world as we see it, then everything's going to be great. They're going to love Jesus. This is going to be fine. And the Holy Spirit had to knock on our shoulders and say, boys, 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 step back a little bit. Let me do the work I am meant to do, and stop getting in my way. So that was great. We had to learn to lead, um, and it was, it was awesome. Humans don't know what we're meant to know until we need it. It's the reason why school people come out of school and they complain, they didn't teach us how to do our taxes. School kids would never listen. You could teach them. They wouldn't listen. They don't need to know it until they actually have to do it. As humans, we don't need to know stuff until we don't like, want to know it until we actually need it. And until I was leading a group, there was stuff there that I just wasn't ready for yet. And then finally, uh, sorry, next two, sorry, there was a bit of instability there as we me and Marnell went f- through a few different groups and we had seasons with certain people, seasons with others, ups and downs. And then finally, there's been a bit of more stability recently because we sort of swapped or switched up how we thought about life groups. It's fair to say that when Marnell and I we got married when we were 20, life groups is what we we're meant to do. We called them home groups, whatever. Um, that's just what we were meant to do. But we sort of viewed it again as a sort of a like, if we can learn, we've we've done it. Like, let's, like for me especially, and I probably put that more in Marnell than she thought that herself. But I was like, if I can just learn something tonight, I've won. And then God just had to remind me that it's not what we know, but it's how we apply what we know. It's all great to know the right thing. If you can't do the right thing, then what's the point of knowing the right thing? And God had to reshape that it's not a getting game of knowing more, knowing more, knowing more. It's a relational game of understanding God, loving people, following the move of His Spirit, coming together in community with others. So there's been a little bit more stability in that space with that understanding. My prayer for us as a church, as LBC, is that it will be a place where you are inspired to follow Jesus. But for that to happen, I think community needs to be a priority for us. We're going to look at it next week, but it really is true that we grow spiritually when we're connected relationally because when we are isolated, it just doesn't happen. Or we go down things that just are not helpful and not as fun or they're just not, uh, not as good for our overall health. We need humans in our life to experience the journey with, to shape and be shaped by. So what's the call of action for today? Just a couple of questions to hopefully um, direct you in some practical terms. The first question is simple. Um, We've explored over our time today that God put us together from the beginning to need other people. I've shared a little bit around the benefits and the the disbenefits, the, the cautions that can happen when we're isolated. So I guess the question that comes out of all of that space is, where are you finding community currently? Who are the people that you know and are known by? Who are the people when life gets tough that you're able to call? Who's the community that are surrounding you at this current moment? If you can easily identify those people, awesome. That's such a huge blessing. Isn't it when we're just able to know where our boundaries are and know where the people that we're doing life with are? That's, that's, That's great. If you're sitting there this morning and you're like, I sort of have community, I sort of don't, I'm a bit unsure, well... What do you need to do to help define those relationships a bit more clearly? I don't know, that's for you to decide, but how do you re-engage in some of them? How do you reconnect with some people that you feel you should be connected with? Who have you lost touch with? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you go, to be honest, Josh, I've got no one right now. If that's you and you're in that space, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, that is a hard place to be. I can say Jesus is with you and God is with you and that's true but it doesn't make the pain of being isolated any less. It doesn't make the pain of not being connected any less. If you find yourself disconnected from community then I would encourage you to come to speak to me or Jared would love to have a chat with you and see how we can connect you from our side a little bit more, but also think through in your workplace, in your family, through your circle of friends, through your sporting clubs or places where you are. Are there places where you've overlooked some community that you can engage with? Where is the community? Where are you finding community? And then the final question now I've got is, where do you need to be more open? One of the big things that stops us from properly engaging with people is our willingness to be open with people. We can be surrounded by lots, but known by no one. So how do we be open and allow ourselves to be in good community with other people by opening up ourselves to them, which is hard and difficult. And I'm sure in the past, as with me, people have abused that trust and misused that trust. But if we stay closed off from people, community is just not a fun place to be. We can still feel isolated while being surrounded by a group of friends or a crowd. And only you know where you are in those relationships. I'd like to finish off with a quote, and I'm going to invite John up after I pray. This is a a quote that comes from a, a book called Creating Community. And it's part of what we've been looking together as an exec team and some of the stuff that's come out of today has come from this uh, from this book. And this quote when I was rereading uh, some of the material just really caught my eye. It says, That is what God has called the church to be about. Creating environments where authentic community can take place. Building transformative communities where people can experience oneness with God and with one another. Unique communities that is so satisfying and so compelling that they create a thirst in a watching world. Jesus said to his followers, they will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. Community is just an expression of that love. Life groups are a way of expressing that love. And hopefully a world looks at what we have within the church, not just this church, the church, and goes, the way they connect is different. The way they know each other is is loving the way that they open up themselves to one another and grow together is impressive and hopefully it's so compelling that the world looks on and says i want a bit of that and as we be community we get to we get to bring them in and say come close let me tell you what the secret to this community is is jesus the church hasn't gathered together and continued to gather because we're great at making friends it's because we believe in Jesus, that he was real, that he died, rose again, and that the Holy Spirit is forming us into his image. The reason we have life groups, the reason the church exists and builds community after community is because we want to be like him. And we want to live out our faith day to day. And hopefully that is something which the world looks at and is encouraged by and that we get to share with those in our lives. Can okay, I pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It really is encouraging to see back, 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 back in the beginning when you put this whole thing together that you didn't want us to be alone. You didn't want it to be a one-person show. You put us together, Lord, so that we can experience community with one another. I thank you for the example of Jesus, for the power that comes from believing in him and that we are able to relate to one another and and form these communities because our lives have been transformed by you, Lord. And I just really do pray this morning that anyone who is feeling isolated, vulnerable, or unknown in community, that you will remind us that we are loved, that you're with us, and empower us, Lord, to look for people that we can connect with, that we can share with, that we can come alongside, that we can hear their story. Lord, there is a human-shaped hole in our life that you refuse to fill. I pray that we have the courage to fill it with people of good, um, of good rapport, of good standing, of people who can feed into our lives and we can feed into theirs. In your name and for your glory. Amen.